First of all, I want to say thank you to Tim and Jimmy for speaking 11 years ago into my life and praying all of God's freedom and blessing and goodness, being very much used by God for me to experience freedom and joy in so many areas. And thank you for having courage and trust to ask me to speak. I'm going to get you back (laughs) somehow. Anybody who knows me know that this is the last place in the world that I want to be. But I'm trying to be obedient to Pastor Tim, to my husband, to my children. And I want to encourage you because I am encouraged. 28 years ago, when Jay and I got married, I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I'd be the mother of seven children. Never imagined that. And that I would be standing here speaking. My talk is, Who Despises Small Beginnings? What I want to say is that for seven years of our marriage, I did not want children. I could not have imagined having children. I physically couldn't have children. But more than that, I was scared to death to have children. And a lot of that was because my mother almost died after she gave birth to each of her three children because she had a blood disorder and she just hemorrhaged afterwards for months. So it was very traumatic. And while I didn't believe in my heart that I would physically die from having children, I believed the lie that somehow I would die. I would disappear. I would cease to exist. And that thought scared me to death. When I think of mothers, and when I look back on my 21 years of being a mother, three words come to mind. They are surrender, trust, and delight. Motherhood begins in surrender. I could not bear children until I surrendered to God's truth. And God's truth healed the lie that I had believed for so long. His truth was that I was made to be a mother. I was made to bring forth life. And it would not kill me. It would bring out the best in me. It would bring me so much closer to God. It would teach me things that I could not learn any other way. And so the very thing that I was deathly afraid of was exactly the gift God wanted to give me to give me more of himself. When I surrendered to the truth, life happened in me. And as exhibit A on do not despise small beginnings, I would like Joshua to stand up because... He was the smallest beginning. I mean, look how enormous he is and the tremendous wingspan. Can we just have that? Thank you. Don't be a No. No, you can take requests later. Who could have done that but God? I could not have willed that into being in any way, shape, or form. But I could surrender to that life growing inside me. I think motherhood is a continual surrendering to life. It is invisible. This life that turns you into a mother before anyone else knows you're a mother is invisible. It's in a dark place, and yet it grows. And it grows in spite of you, and yet because of you. You surrender to it, and yet you participate with it. God is so amazingly wonderful that he gives that gift to women to participate in that aspect of his nature. But I would dare say 
that every single person in this room is a mother in that God has planted his truth in you. And it might be invisible, but it is growing. And it will grow to magnificence. With or without your participation, but I encourage you to participate. Just like a mother would not be such a good mother if she didn't eat well or get proper rest or drink enough water, we need to do those things to nurture the life that's growing within us. As a woman becomes a mother and she surrenders to this life growing within her, she surrenders her body physically, she surrenders her emotions, she surrenders her life, and she will never be the same. And I can honestly say, I will never be the same. That seven people have passed through this body and changed me forever, for good. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. The next word that comes to mind is trust, in that... Even while the baby's growing within, there's the opportunity continually to trust. You can't see what's happening. You can't control what's happening. And yet this life is taking off inside of you. There has to be trust. And again, I say that this is our opportunity to go back to God's goodness and to trust in his goodness, especially in the midst of doubt and uncertainty, of strange pains, of weird things happening, of literally being taken over. (laughs) that it's an opportunity for trust. When the time comes for delivery and there's going to be pain, it's the opportunity for trust, for us to trust that God's goodness is even in the pain, that even in the uncertainty or the difficulty, His goodness is with us and we can endure the pain or the difficulty because we can trust He is good. He hasn't changed no matter what uncertainties face us. 1 Peter 3.6 is talking about we can call ourselves daughters of uh, Sarah, daughters of the promise. If you are her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear, being a mother, being a child of God, it's the same thing. We have great opportunity not to give way to fear. Circumstances in life that we have to trust that God is good and that God is at work and that God is here, like now, because I really thought it would be better to pack up the house and move to North Carolina by 10 o'clock this morning than to stand up in front of you. (laughs) And, yes, but the kids didn't want to miss their baseball game, so here we are. God calls us to trust. He calls mothers to trust. There's so much you can do. The flip side, I wanted to have three coins up here, one for the surrender, and the flip side of surrender is participation. You surrender to God's will, you surrender to his work, to his life growing in you, but you participate ferociously at the same time. With trust, the flip side of the coin for trust is that you work hard. Nobody works harder than a mother. (laughs) There, it's been said. (laughs) And and it's constant, continual, and never-ending. But you can either work out of fear and fretting, or you can work out of trust and goodness. And the, the, the latter one produces a sweet fruit, and it really does produce a sweet fruit. I love that in Scripture, in Luke one forty-five, it says, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. 
And then Luke one thirty seven, for nothing is impossible with God. And I believe that's the word that as mothers we need to keep in our hearts all the time. When we're obviously studiers of our children, we watch them continuously, we look at them. I remember when Josh was born and I literally would hold him all day long. And Jay would come home from work and I would be looking at this beautiful, perfect, amazing, teeny, weeny, little-headed, gorgeous critter. And Jay would walk in the door from work and I would look up and think, Oh my gosh, your head is enormous! <laughs> because I had just been looking at him all day long. Totally different perspective when I saw an adult. <laughs> we study our children and that's... That is absolute proof that God loves us so much. Because if we have that nature in us, it's because it was in Him. It is Him. This is the nature of God, that He studies His children, that He knows us so well, that He longs after us with such a longing to be with us, to know us and be known by us. So you are all familiar with Psalm 139 which says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I, in my wildest imaginations, and I have wild imaginations, could never have imagined having seven children. The God of the universe, who spoke the stars into being, has been thinking about you and planning out, knitting you together, weaving you together, ordaining every day of your life for his glory so that you would know him and be with him forever. And your mother had a very sweet privilege of being part of bringing you into the world. The third coin is delight. I think a mother delights over her children. She's called to delight over her children. A mother's smile is such an effective tool to train a child. It's the best tool to train a child. When a child knows that you absolutely delight over them, that you think they are amazing, and that they have a purpose in their life, that they have a call on their life that's good, they can choose the highest road because you believe in them. Sometimes my perception of how amazing my children are is very skewed. Two years ago, we were having a graduation party for Sarah, and we had bought helium balloons, a whole bunch of helium balloons, and tied them on chairs outside. We were setting up the party. And it was a windy day. And in the wind, they all unraveled and started flying away. And all the guys were in the backyard. And I, of course, said to them, get them. Now, in my mind, it was not an issue. My boys can do anything. And in my mind, I saw the brothers Karamazov or whatever flipping and getting on top of each other's shoulders and being 30 feet up in the air in 10 seconds flat and getting those balloons. It did not happen. I don't understand why. <laughs> they all looked at me and were like, what do you want us to do? I truly thought that this would happen. Okay, so you have a grasp of my lack of reality here. But in, in essence, I do think these guys can do anything. They can just do zip, zip, zip on their shoulders. Zip, zip. They did not get the balloons. The balloons went away and we all 
even this morning, had a good chuckle about that. Sometimes mom's expectations are really not based in reality. However, God's expectations of us are based in reality, and his mercy is so good, and he's so gentle, and his thoughts toward us are unfathomable. After it talks about how God has knit us together, how he's put us together, and he knows everything about us, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. The thought that I'd like to sum up with is, the flip side of the coin of delight is pain. I think the mother's joy is deep and sweet and amazing. And a mother's pain is deep. That when we look at our children and they are not walking in everything that we know God has for them, there's great pain. And that is also a gift from God for us to get on our knees and pray for them and entrust them once again to their maker who loves them way more than we ever could. The psalm that says, when, you're, when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will pick me up, is so true. As much as I love these kids, and I would happily in a skinny minute lay down my life for them, it's not enough. My love is incomplete. My love is so imperfect. I want to spoil you, and then I get mad because I'm tired and you've taken advantage of me. You've seen all my foibles and my lunacies, and you still love me, which speaks of greatness about your character. But we desperately need to know that God knows us much more intimately than our mother does or our father does. Mm-hmm. And that he never forsakes us and he never leaves us and he's never lacking. He's never tired. He never grows weary. He's for us and he's never against us. And he wants everything good for us. And he's committed, he who has begun a good work is committed to complete that good work. He's beyond magnificent. And he knows us. I think that's the other thing that I see about mothers is that they they know their children. And that's the sweet thing that I've experienced. Being a mom is the gift of knowing them. But even what I know is so limited compared to what God knows about you and what he sees about each one of you and what he has for you. So while not everyone in this room is a mother, I truly believe that everyone has been made to bear fruit and that the seed of faith has been given to all of us to trust God, to trust in his truth. His word is truth. To surrender to that truth and let it take life within us. To trust in his goodness, especially amidst circumstances that don't look good or feel good. I had great pregnancies. I had delightful pregnancies. And except for huge monster children who came out, I had really lovely deliveries too. But it isn't always so. Sometimes it's extremely uncomfortable. And to trust in God's goodness in the midst of that. And then to delight in the knowing. To delight in knowing your children. To delight in knowing your God. God has pursued you and will continue to pursue you out of this great love for you. He wants you to know him. And you can delightfully enjoy that experience with him. He wants you to. Psalm 148.11 says, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. So my encouragement to you today is to surrender to the love, to surrender to the truth, 
and let God's truth heal those places that may have believed a lie, to trust in his goodness. God is not withholding anything good from you, even in the midst of life in quiet, dark places. Rest in that. Trust in that and let God accomplish his work. Out of that comes the fruit of an enormous wingspan. (laughs) And delight in his love. I encourage everyone here to receive his amazing gift of love and to delight in it. To let that love consume your thoughts, your time, your relationships. to be up here speaking today and that's a miracle because anybody who really knows me knows that the last thing I want to do is be up here speaking today so happy Mother's Day I uh, I have to say this um, no matter what kind of mother we have no matter good or bad the truth is that when you needed her the most the second before you took your first breath she was there and for that we can be thankful God has blessed us and here we all are at that moment you began a journey that will continue until you take your last breath and it is a journey of trust you can't help but think about Mother's Day a vision of a mother holding an infant that bond the gentleness the trust the fact that this woman will lay down her life for this child and usually did to get that baby out and having delivered seven babies without any anesthesia especially Michael at 10 pounds 13 ounces I can tell you that pain is productive God in his kindness made me a mother when I should not have been one and in that he has given me the opportunity to learn about trust more than than I ever wanted to (laughs) because you have to trust when you're a mother as much as I thought I could control every little aspect and keep every ugly thing away from my perfect children soon I realized the ugly things were in my perfect children and more importantly in me and I couldn't keep them away from my children you have to trust God you have to and it isn't for him that we trust him it's for us he wants us to trust him recently we got a bunny named Samson and we got him from a man who raises therapy bunnies believe it or not these bunnies are certified to go in hospitals and nursing homes 
He has a whole trailer home full of bunnies. I don't know, 12, 15 bunnies all over the place. They come when they're called. They're so gentle. It's amazing. But Tommy, this man, told us when we got our bunny, they are not like a dog. They are not loyal to you. They will not trust you unless you prove to them consistently that you're faithful. If you mess up, you have to start back at square one. This is how it is with bunnies. And I'm so encouraged because really that's how it's been with me all my life. (laughs) I guess I'm a bunny. And even being married to Jay for 32 years, and he's a wonderful man, but I don't trust him. And that is not an indictment on him. It's an indictment on me, on my heart, that I am so easily frightened. We're all like that, or at least a heck of a lot of us are like that. God has been speaking to me a lot lately about trust. The bunny was one part of it, and really identifying that I'm not a sheep, I'm a bunny. Um, (laughs) I really have trust issues. I've had trust issues for a long time. Part of that, I think, is that I, I notice people. I'm very aware and astute of other people. And let's face it, every single one of us is pretty scary. We let people down. We don't say the right thing. We don't do the right thing. We hurt each other. We disappoint each other constantly. And if we try and put our trust in a man, we're going to be hurt and disappointed. We were made to know God, and nothing short of that is going to satisfy us. That's it. I could leave now. That's the end of the discussion. Trust. Trust is the reliance on and confidence in the truth, worth, and reliability of a person or a thing. The reliance on the integrity, strength, ability, and surety of a person or a thing. Confidence. Trust, assurance, and confidence imply a feeling of security. You don't have to put your hand up, but I ask the question, how many of you are feeling secure in your life right now? Or at any given point? There's so much in our circumstances that rattle us, that shake us, that scare us. We have very little control over most things, if we're honest about it. And yet God wants us to trust in the Lord. He wants us to be certain of him, to have confidence in him. Now, like Tommy said with the bunny, the way to do that is to make sure nothing bad ever happens to the bunny. That we don't run the vacuum cleaner by the bunny, and we don't brush him with the vacuum cleaner. He's scared of it. We don't chase him around the house shrieking. We keep everything calm and quiet. He knows he's going to be fed. He knows he can trust us. But God, who spoke the whole world into existence, has chosen a very different way to teach us to trust him. He doesn't keep it safe. He doesn't keep it quiet. He doesn't keep it peaceful. He's up to something different. And he invites us on that journey to trust him more. So I put to you today that if you are in the midst of scary circumstances, things that don't make sense, things that you don't have control over, 
God is at work, and he wants you to know him better so you trust him more. He is not going to take away the yucky circumstances. If anything, if you've been thrown into one, rejoice, because God wants you to know him better. And the only way you will is through this circumstance. Trust implies instinctive, unquestioning belief in and reliance on a person. If anybody's been alive more than five minutes, you know you can't instinctively rely on anybody. Can I just say that out loud? And it's true. But that is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because God wants us to rely on him. And we can't unless we know him. Unless we know him experientially. It isn't enough just to read this wonderful Bible that says trust in the Lord and say, I trust in God and walk away. You can't do that unless you've experienced his faithfulness. And you can't experience his faithfulness unless you go through something. I would like it to be the hero of the day, makes everything perfect in life, and I can sit and eat my chocolate bonbons and not have to deal with anything. But the hero of the day, Jesus Christ, didn't do it that way. Okay, let me find where I'm in my notes. I'm sorry. Confidence implies a conscious trust, a decision because of good reasons, definite evidence, or past experiences. God is trustworthy, and for our own good, he calls us to trust him, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of other people's failings, and regardless of our own shortcomings. He wants us to know him so well that no matter what we walk through, we trust his goodness. Jesus suffered, but he never doubted the Father's goodness. He never doubted the Father's promises. I may have doubted when I was bringing Michael into the world that I was going to see that kid's face. But at some point, I said, out now, and a a man-child was delivered to me. (laughs) And it was worth the pain. It was sweeter because of the pain, actually, if I can say that. Pain is productive. Okay, so we're going to go to a wonderful example. And bear with me, because it starts out, it sounds terrible. You're not going to like this at all. And we know it ahead of time. Okay? It's Mother's Day. I'm a mother. I get to say this. Wives. In the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, I'm 52 years old. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a man read that scripture and wanted to punch him in the nose. (laughs) 
it's true confessions. So bear with me, but come with me into this. Wives, in the same way. What same way? Just before that, Scripture is talking about how Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. He was honest. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Later on, it says at the end of, of uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. This is the same way we're supposed to be submissive. Christ was submissive to God the Father, suffering on the cross for the joy set before him. You were the joy set before him. He wanted to bring all the children to the Father. He wanted to pay for sin once and for all, what we could never pay ourselves. It was worth the suffering. But even in the worst suffering imaginable, and I've never been asked to do this, he didn't doubt God's goodness. He still trusted God. It didn't change the circumstances. From an outward perspective, those circumstances look pretty crummy. But they were exactly the circumstances that he needed to go through for us. There's going to be circumstances that you need to go through. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's for the people around you. Don't try to escape it too quickly. Now we go into Sarah. And this is the verse that God has been saying to me over and over and over again. Because I want to be set free from not trusting. I want to not look at man's failure or people's failure around me. I want to see God. So, we are Sarah's daughters if we do what is right and do not give way to fear. She obeyed Abraham and called him her master. So let's go back to that. Abraham's talked a lot about in the Bible. And it, it's always, you know, he's the patriarch, the father. He's the father of nations. He gave, God gave him the promise and fulfilled the promise of Isaac to him. But Sarah had a lot to do with this. So the Lord, in Genesis chapter 12, the Lord says to Abraham, Leave Abram, his name hasn't been changed yet, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And so he goes out, but then, next, there's a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. It wasn't Abram's fault there was a famine in the land. It wasn't Sarah's fault there was a famine in the land. They didn't do anything wrong. But here are the circumstances stink again God is maneuvering them to a place can you believe that in your life in the story of your life God is maneuvering you into places that you would not choose to go because he loves you so much he's getting at something in your heart that won't come to the surface unless you go through a famine because of the famine, they go into Egypt. And being a wonderful, protective, loving husband, 
Abram says to Sarah, you're really beautiful and they're going to kill me because they're going to want you. So just say you're my sister so it goes well with me. And she does. Okay, right there, I'm just totally surprised because this is where the first punch in the nose would have happened with me. <laughs> but she, she does this. This is an amazing act of trust on Sarah's part. Amazing. And so again, I'm going to put it out there in the light. The people we are closest to, because of fear in their own lives, are going to do things to us that seem really bad. Don't be afraid. God wants to show himself strong for you. He's going to come through. He does. He protects Sarah. I would be like, what about the schnuckle face you just matched me up with? She doesn't ask that question. She's much better than I am. <laughs> but God protects Sarah and inflicts serious diseases on Pharaoh and his whole household because of her. And somehow God communicates with this heathen, with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gives Sarah back and says, what have you done to me by giving me your wife? But in the meantime, he had just given Abram cattle and sheep and manservants and men servants and all kinds of stuff, donkeys. Abram goes away wealthier from this encounter. And God has given him a promise that out of him, the nations will be blessed. We continue on in Genesis. Lots of other things happen. At this point now, Abram... Abraham, his name has been changed. God has specifically told him, you're going to have a son by Sarah this year. Next year at this time, she's going to have a son. Sarah laughs. Abraham laughs. It's a year away from the promise. One year away from the promise happening. And Abraham moves on from there into the region of the Negev. And he's afraid of the king Abimelech, king of Gerar. And he tells Sarah, do the same thing, say you're my sister. And so the king takes her. Okay, not once, but twice? <laughs> None of you have ever been put in this situation, I hope. <laughs> See, this woman still trusted God. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her, but the Lord said to him, you're as good as dead because of Sarah. Abimelech didn't really do anything wrong. Abraham is the one who's lying because Abraham's afraid for his own life. But again, God speaks directly to Abimelech. He returns Sarah, he gives Abraham all kinds of money and goods and everything. And Abraham prays to God for him, and God heals Abimelech, his wife, and his, all his slave girls, and opens their wombs up again so that they can be fruitful. After this, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. 
at the very time God had promised him. What I'd like to propose is that God in his goodness knew that not only Abraham but Sarah needed to see the faithfulness of God in a very distinct way in order to bring forth the promise that was given them. It wasn't enough that Sarah and Abraham were old and God can do impossible things. He can. He can, I know, he can open up a womb that is closed. I have seven proofs of that. He can also protect us from other people's sin, from other people's shortcomings, from our own sin and fear and shortcomings. But the truth is that he wants us to know him and trust him. And so there are going to be times that he's going to walk you into, because of a famine, into a place that doesn't make sense, that outwardly looks like the wrong idea. This is not the best plan. And yet it is. If we stop the story when she goes away with the king or when she goes away with the pharaoh, we, we fall short of the grace of God. The story is terrible. Who wants Abraham for a patriarch if that's the end of the story? But that isn't the end of the story. And it's not the end of your story, whatever circumstance you're in right now, that doesn't make sense. That's not the end of the story. God is faithful. And God wants us to look to his faithfulness more than to others' shortcomings. That's the tricky part. I think for years and years I, I sort of prided myself on having great discernment. I could tell when people were being manipulative or I could see that this... This is not a gift. <laughs> God wants us to look so intently on him and to know him so well that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the shortcomings of others, we don't fall short of the grace of God. Because when we do, it's a root of bitterness that grows up and it defiles many. It does. Because we... <laughs> we stop the story short. Can you imagine if the Bible just ends with, and Sarah said, yes, I am his sister, and went away with the king. There's no Isaac. There's no laughter. There's no freedom. And there's no promise. So my challenge to you is, especially as women, we can be so easily afraid. We're afraid for our children. We're afraid for our lives. We're afraid for provision for the future, for being accepted or being loved, being safe. God has made us promises that he will not break. They are certain. But he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to know that just with head knowledge, like you could know history. He wants us to know it cellularly, <laughs> you know, he wants us to experience it. So if you're going through the circumstances that are frightening, that are bizarre, that prove to you that you married the schnuckle face, don't stop there. Don't. Be daughters of Sarah. 
who do not give way to fear and who continue to do what's right. Every relationship that you are in is an opportunity for you to know your Savior better and to trust him more. Again, that scripture, 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Every circumstance that you are being tempted to be led away and distracted by someone else's sin, fear, lack, selfishness, or your own, Realize it's an opportunity for you to know the goodness of the Father better, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and that you are called to share in the very divine nature of God that Jesus Christ had, that he could endure the cross, scorning the shame for the joy set before him. His goodness, he wants us to know, to see his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, his goodness, and to know him so well that we are not shaken in the midst of a storm. Scripture is full of people chosen by God, promised something, Joseph, who are thrown in prison through no fault of their own. But that's the ground that God's working the deepest preparedness of their heart for where they're going to go. So I encourage you, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, don't fall short of the grace of God. Do not believe the, uh, the lie of the enemy that God is mad at you, has forsaken you, doesn't care about you. Those are lies, which mean they are not the truth. If you, those thoughts go through your head, you know that they are not the truth. God loves you. He is devoted to you. He is all for you and not against you. So much for you that he wants to make sure there's nothing in your heart that will keep you separated from him. So trust, totally rely upon the Savior today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Romans 10.11 says, Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Nothing is impossible with God. The story didn't end with Sarah in Pharaoh's household. The story ended with the beautiful, laughter, joy child Isaac and all the promises of generations to come after him. And that's the same promise for each and every one of you.